and welcome to A Living Mind. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is Marcella Detroit. Now, Marcy's had a long and amazing career. Started off working with Leon Russell and Bob Seeger, and eventually Eric Clapton. She helped co-write Eric Clapton's hit, Lay Down Sally. But her biggest success was probably when she and Bananarama member Siobhan Fahey formed Shakespeare's sister. They had the massive hit stay, eight weeks on the top of the charts in England. It was a top 10 hit in the States. She talks about how the two broke up and eventually reconciled after decades. They released a amazing EP a couple years ago, but Marcy's had an amazing solo career as well. Her latest album, Gold, came out late last year. It's fantastic. We talk about her amazing career. We talk a little wordle, of course. And we talk about Live Aid. She worked with Eric Clapton during Live Aid, so she talks about her experience there. And we talk about some of her soundtrack work as well. Marcy, very fascinating woman, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with her. So, Marcy, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. So, kind of. I guess before we kind of look back and talk about your career, I was on your Twitter earlier and you're posting your Wordle scores. So how much fun is that game now? <laughs> I know it's really annoying. People are, are like putting me down for, you know, you know, what's wrong with you doing Wordle every day? I don't care about your Wordle scores. I'm like, I love word games, right? right? Um, and I do them, I do Wordle every morning because it kind of stimulates my mind, it occupies my, my busy mind. And uh, it's kind of challenging, you know, some, some days because yeah. they, they try to trick you into thinking it's, you know, it's not a word that has two of the same letters in it, exactly, which is really annoying. Um, but I, I just enjoy it. You know, it's, it's, it's harmless fun. And if some people don't like it, I don't really give a flying bleep. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's all, that letter is only four, four words. So that will never be one. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you have like a particular strategy to start off? Uh, yeah, I try to use a word that has as many vowels as possible. Yeah. Uh, that's like the, that's how I started. A friend of mine told, told me about um, Wordle. I'd never heard of it before. And all of a sudden I'm like completely addicted. But yeah, I just start with a word that has as many vowels as possible and go from there. Yeah, my wife's told me that that too. So she always starts with ideal because that always has like three you know, vowels. But it was one day I actually got it on the first try. Total lucky, lucky guess. And like, like I'm playing a lot of, yeah. I think the word was either tease or tra- I can't remember what it was. Something track or wh- whatever it was, something yeah. like that. And like, you know, the letters kept turning green and it's like looking at a lotto ticket, like, you know, each letter, each number coming up with the one you had. And if enough. only they were worth if, money. Exactly. If only. So that was my, my, my lone, you know, uh, highlight of the year so far. <laughs> it's getting right. Well, that's amazing. Good for you. A friend yeah. of mine did that as well. She announced it on, on Facebook. I got it on the first one. I'm like, how does anyone do that? Yeah. You get lucky, right? Exactly. And then last week I couldn't get black. Oh, really? Because I, you know, slack and flack and everything else. I just couldn't get I know it. so, it's not fair when it's that yeah. letter. There's so many options. Exactly. All right. But enough of that wordle stuff. But uh <laughs> yeah, I don't know what, what today's word was, but I think I got it looking for. Yeah. I, I never remember what the word is after I do it. <laughs> just, I usually don't either. I can't even remember what it was today. 
Yeah. Seems like such a long time ago. Exactly. Exactly. We're on to the next day. Yeah. So something that has four letters is Gold, which is your oh. latest album, which I really enjoy. Um, was that basically out of the pandemic? Did you guys, do you have plans to make that prior to the pandemic? I didn't have plans to make that album at all. I mean, as soon as the pandemic started, um, there's a window right there. This is my, I'm in my studio. Right. And I was, you know, I mean, we were all, you know, kind of scared because we really didn't know what we were dealing with. So the outside world, which is over there, was scary to me. So I thought, well, what I'm going to do is just be, use my time to be creative. Right. And so I just started writing and writing and writing. And after I had about, I was writing um, for my, my publishers. I'm signed to a company called Pure, Pure Music. And I'm signed to the UK branch. And um, they were sending me briefs to write songs for film and TV. But as I was writing more and more, I realized that, well, I'm not exactly writing to exactly you know what they're asking me to write for i'm writing right. more for me as an artist as well so i realized well after i wrote 50 songs i realized well i have an album's worth here at least yeah um so yeah i just i tried to you know call it and and make sure that it was cohesive and i had a friend of mine um who was shakespeare's sister reunion um he was the musical director, what we call okay. an MD in the music world. Right. Yeah. Richard Bundy. He, I asked him to, hey, can you mix this track for me? I asked him to do one and I really loved it. And I just said, can you do the whole album? Right. So, yeah, it yeah. sounds great. I think he did a great job. And we were initially only going to have 10 songs on the album, but, um, but we decided to just put 20 songs right. on the CD. So. So when you're writing an album, like, does it kind of determine what kind of the sound it's going to be that yeah. you know, after you write or just like maybe you write one song and then after like you said 50, it's like, I'm going to make this into like a soul album or a techno album. Like when does like the musical style come into play? I think it kind of finds itself, you know, um, as if I keep writing in one particular genre. Um it kind of helps define itself. And to me, when I wrote, the first, one of the first songs I wrote was the first single. She takes some time, she gives, she breaks. She doesn't fix, you make. The most of it, she cries when you're happiest. She fights when you give up generous when there's enough she hides but in plain sight she can be kind for a little while i think i need therapy situations got the best of me this roller coaster's going down i'm up i'm sideways on the ground powers that be are out of control the lights are on but nobody's home
less brings trials and you a mess repeats the lesson too until you get it it's up to you you know you wouldn't be able to do these things to me if i wasn't such a loved it because it's a bit techno it's a bit dance it's a bit edgy a little bit you know kind of alternative techno <laughs> um, my own style which right. not many people get but hey um i love it and uh and it, i said to my husband his name is lance by the way lance aston um i told him look i want to write a song about what's going on right now with the pandemic I want to write a song. I knew exactly what I wanted. I said, I want it to be, I want it to be dance. I want it to be edgy. I want it to be, um, uh, you know, slightly alternative, uh, kind of dark. And I want it to be called Vicious Bitch. So come up with a really cool yeah. track. Right. I got all these words swimming around in my head and uh, I really want to put it to something great. So he does really good um, sound design programming and he came up with the track and I was like, oh God, I love it. And I just couldn't stop the flow. And that to me defined where I wanted the album to go. Mm -hmm. That was like kind of, you know, the, the template. It veered off from there slightly in some instances, but for the most part, I would say that it, it fits in with that really well. Right. And people would be surprised to know that the song isn't about a person. It's about mother nature. It's about mother nature. Yeah. Some people were mad at me because they thought I was <laughs> writing about somebody specifically, but I'm like, right. dude, it's about mother nature, how she can be so wonderful. And then all of a sudden when yeah. you leave expect that she'll throw you a pandemic and right. we'll be completely unprepared not Holy only our country the world but the world and yeah. we still are we're still dealing with it it's still going on and people are pretending that it's not i'm not one of those people you know necessarily that's saying you know don't go anywhere or do anything now i'm yeah. like complete you know completely obsessed however it is still going on right. and i still feel like well, I'm still going to wear a mask when I'm around people that I don't know because yeah. we just don't, we don't really know what's going on. So until that is uh, proven otherwise, I'll be wearing a mask in yeah. public. Thank you. Right. Absolutely. And like my oldest uh, son got his booster yesterday. So it's just like, good. It's, yeah. Now I'm just waiting for my daughter to get it. And now my youngest is two and a half. So we're waiting for guidance yeah. for him to, you know, finally get it because then he's the one I really have to worry about. Right, yeah, you know, yeah. Which is, you know, it's just a shame. But, you know, you mentioned the pandemic and then 
2020, like we live in the Northeast, we had like three blizzards on top of the pandemic. So I mean, thankfully no one had to go anywhere, but still it's another thing you got to deal with thanks to mother nature. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's what it's about. It was inspired by that. And uh, yeah, that was the beginning <clears throat> of that foray into that territory, which is that not that uncommon to me because I've actually, my uh, Gray Matters album was very dance. Yeah. Um, so, and also my Dancing Manly Sideways album. So it's not yeah. like I've never done that before. before. Right. Yeah, but, but I do like that kind of music. So. Yeah. And the, the song Girl on Instagram, was that any like particular like person or is that just kind of like, you know, the, a theme of what's going on now in society?
it's actually about a girl um, that, but I actually, I discovered her on TikTok. Okay. Um, but girl on TikTok didn't sound as good as girl on Instagram. <laughs> right. She's on Instagram as well, but initially I discovered her there. Her name is Madeline the Person. I don't know okay. if you've ever heard of her. No. You heard of her? <gasps> no. This girl is so talented and, and she kept getting more and more followers. I, we became aware of her. My husband turned me on to her. I'm like, oh my God, this girl's amazing. Right. She's a brilliant singer, but she's also a brilliant musician. Okay. And she would accompany herself every day, singing a, a no, different one of her songs, um, accompanying herself on a different instrument every day, doing covers and, and I just really admired her and respected her talent um so yeah I, I was inspired by her and i wrote this song called girl on instagram and it's all about her right are you still kind of like amazed how the industry has changed now where it's like before you needed a record deal to be successful and famous now you can just do everything yourself and now the record companies can just find you and they have all everyone has all the followers already so they don't have to do promotion because they're bringing on the person yeah. who already has the followers and already has the fan base and that happened with this girl as well. She was um, discovered by a label. And I don't know if they've ruined her career or what, but I've not right. heard of her for like a year and a half. I haven't seen her on any social media. So sometimes labels getting involved, you know, like big labels yeah. getting involved. They want to change everything, even though it was already great. Right. You know, they want to change everything and make her into something that maybe she's not or, you know, maybe your stuff's not pop enough or maybe it's mm. too dark or whatever. But she already had so many followers mm. and fans. Um, so I, I don't know what's going on with that. But the thing about social media and how it has affected music is a really big deal because some labels won't even sign you unless you have a certain number right. of followers. And I think... I don't know. To me, I feel that's that's unfair. Um, if somebody's got talent and they're they've just come on to you know social media or whatever, but if the label sees it goes, oh, they only got five hundred followers, it can't be that good. I just, to me, it re it reminds me. No, no disrespect. It just reminds me of being in like, you know, junior high or high school. Right. I hate it. I really yeah. hate it. And. I'd rather discover somebody that has like hardly any followers and just see, you know, how this person's amazing and just become a, you know, a diehard. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a double-edged sword, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, because some, some people just need that one break, you know, it could be immensely talented, but it you might not have the right follower. You, you might have, you know, 500, but that person 501 can really help your career. And they're just waiting for that one person to yeah, you just come and help you. You never know. And, and, and these days as an artist, you have to be able to wear so many hats. Yeah. You have to, you know, know how to present yourself to the world. You have to be really good at social media. I mean, really good. You possibly, you, you have to know how to write. You have to know how to program if you do it all yourself. I mean, it, you know, it's a whole different world right now. Right. And you're doing all of that for less than what you would get if you had a record company dealing, you know, with it, like having someone right. behind yeah. you doing all that. So it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, and also the problem with it is now that we have Spotify, I noticed that and I'm, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, complaining. <laughs> it is a big in an incredible brave new world but right. I, I got a notice from Spotify last month saying 
you've had a 19% increase in your listeners. Now you've you had 22,000 new listeners <laughs> last month. And but what that amounts to right. in, you know, it's not all about money, but what it, it amounts to is $44. Because it's yeah. it's 0. 0.002 cents per stream. Right. So that's the problem with it as far as if you want to make a living at it anymore, unless you're somebody like Adele or J Lo or you know Billy Eilish, yeah. whoever, unless you're in that position, um, you're not making as much money on your music anymore because a lot of people are getting it for free, actually. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's a whole different world and you better have a backup job. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And you, and you have to tour like hell. So that's probably one of the money that's the right thing. now. Yeah, which is... You know, the last two years killed it for um, so many artists. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So how did a nice Jewish girl get involved in the business? How did a nice Jewish girl get involved in the business? Yeah. You know, I don't really know. I Maybe I was just a masochist or whatever. <laughs> um, because no one else in my family, although I found out, when I was a lot older that my, my great grandfather was a concert violinist and, my, and that was my first instrument, violin right. when, okay. I was, when I was eight. Um, I loved music from the time I could sing or play or pick up like a recorder or my violin yeah. or you know the accordion yeah. or whatever. Um, but it was just in my, I was just so inspired by it. And, and I think it was like a friend to me, music, you know, if I ever felt bad in my teenage, right. oh, I was, I was, trouble. I was right. really, really trouble. Right. So I, I was very angst ridden and hormonal. So I would just lock myself in my room and play my guitar yeah. until I felt like, okay, I can deal with the world now. Um, then it started to become so important to me to just sing every day. I decided, you know, and then the Beatles came along mm. and then, you know, I would just sneak into clubs underage and mm. it was such a big part of my life. Um, I decided after I saw Leon Russell and the shelter mm. people many, many times, I thought I'm going to sing with him one day. Right. And this is what I want to do. I made a conscious decision one day. This is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. So I made that decision and I have not stopped. Um, and I've been really lucky, you know, I've done some incredible things, things that, I mean, if you would have told me when I was 12 yeah. or when I was 10 and I no, 12, when I was watching the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, that you are actually going to meet your first favorite Beatle and stay in his house and do a record. I would have wow, yeah. chills thinking about it right now. I would never have believed you, right. but I met him. Um, when I was working with Eric Clapton, which uh, was incredible because we were working out here out in LA um, at a studio when I hadn't lived here yet. And uh, we were working at the band, the band, Robbie Robertson. Yeah. Band. Um, we were working in their studio on one of Eric's albums. And I was working on a song. I was in the studio in the, the live room, they call it. It's the room that's separate from the control room. And I was playing this piano and I was working on a new song of mine. And I heard this door open, it just kind of. Mm -hmm. And then I hear this voice, this English voice going, keep it up, you'll be really good one day. And I turn around <laughs> and I'm like, it's George freaking Harrison. Wow. I just was like. Oh my God. 
I was so shocked and I, I didn't really know what to say. Yeah. So flash forward to, let me see, that was when I was, you know, first starting out in my early 20s, you know, when I started working with Shakespeare's sister and Dave Stewart was a good friend with George Harrison and they decided to trade studios with him. Like we'll go record in, in England and he'll come and use Dave's place right. in LA. Um, that was just mm. incredible. There were 59 guitars on the wall and I got to play any one that one I wanted to. Wow. There was the Vox amp that mm. he used at Shea Stadium when the Beatles played there. Um, and every guitar mm. in the world yeah. that he had played. So it, you know, it's, it's been an incredible journey. And yeah. uh, I'm really grateful right. for That's, all the wonderful yeah. Experiences. Right. That's great. I had um, Dennis DeYoung on last year, and he told me that the Beatles were the greatest job creators in the arts, because as soon as everyone watched them on Ed Sullivan, everyone wanted to be getting into the industry. And sure enough, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they inspired so, so many um, artists, so many musicians, aspiring musicians and artists to pursue their goal, you know, their dreams. And, and they were so experimental. I, I love how they, you know, at first they were like this kind of rockabilly band. And, uh, yeah. and when they did Sgt. Pepper's in the White Album, that was just like mind blowing for the time. You know, it still is, it still holds yeah. up in my opinion today. Um, those two records are just, yeah. and, and Rubber Soul, of course, is right. one of my favorites. I mean, there's so many great albums, but. And, yeah, the, they really yeah. and the fact that it was what six seven years and that was it yeah it, it, that their impact was i mean was just still ongoing what six years later and their yeah. time together was so short right and the evolution of them to sit back and for us to be able to observe this incredible evolution of talent and experimentation and innovation was just god we were really lucky yeah was that Right. And they're, they're, they're really still the only band where everyone had a favorite. Like you can look at bands now, every, you know, there's not the same. It was like, oh, I like this guy or this guy. That was really the last band where everyone's like, oh, I'm a Paul guy. I'm a John guy, a Ringo right. guy. It's like, it's amazing. Yeah. 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 Truly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you guys start with Bob Seeger. And so another amazing, amazing talent. So what was that experience like? Well, that was really the first big break I had working with Bob, because I was in a band um, in the Detroit area called Julia. I've been in several bands before that, but I ended up being in this band. They were quite popular in the Midwest and, and they were touring and did mostly covers. And there was a, a guy in the band named Bill Mueller. Um, he and I started writing. Um, so our, to me, the, the pinnacle of, of our career was we were discovered by Bob Seeger's manager, but we named Punch Andrews, but we actually opened for David Bowie. Oh, wow. Okay. The theater in Detroit. Yeah. In uh, 73, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, so that was just awe inspiring to me because I love David Bowie. He's right. One of my favorites and still is. So to open for him, even though we were forbidden from being backstage when he was. <laughs> When he was there after we right. played, we were ordered to leave the backstage area. But I was like, um, oh, excuse me. I think yeah. I left my purse back there. I've got to go backstage. So I managed to walk 
past him and see yeah. him preparing. Right. For, you know, Ziggy Stardust days. Mm-hmm. It was phenomenal. Anyway, so I digressed a bit. <laughs> um, at that point, we were discovered by Bob Seeger's manager, Punch, and we were asked um, to audition for Bob's band. Okay. He was, he was um, wanting a new band. He had just worked with, with uh, T Garden and Van Winkle. And he wanted a new band. So he asked us to audition and we did and we got the gig. And that was the first time I had ever been on a plane. You know, wow. we went right. to the jet to Florida. I mean, for us, my family, you know, very kind of came from humble beginnings. And what we would do on a Sunday afternoon for fun was let's go down to the airport and watch planes <laughs> take off. Right. But that was like a big deal. So for me to get on a plane was an incredible experience and to go to Florida, you know, on tour for the very first time with Bob. And we toured extensively all over the South and the Midwest, some places. The furthest West we got where Bob was popular was Colorado and and, in Texas. But um, yeah, it was an incredible experience. And and Bob Bob was great to work with. He was, he was really an amazing performer. Um, and I, I worked with him with, um, like I said, with Julia. Yeah. Then he fired them, he kept me on. I don't know why. Right. <laughs> and he kept me on and, uh, and hired this band from Tulsa, Oklahoma. These guys who were these hot shots, right? right? And they were just finishing a tour with a, a jazz trumpeter named Phil Driscoll. And so he hired them. Um, I was still on his backing singer. I was asked to bring a singer along, you know, to, to sing BB's. Right. So, um, I brought a friend of mine, this guy, Luke Smith, he's from Detroit. And we ended up being on the back, back in 72 album. But yeah, it was incredible to work with Bob. And we recorded some of that album at Leon Russell's okay. Lake studio, just outside of Tulsa. So yeah, I ended up being, you know, staying in Bob's band and, and mingling with the Tulsa guys, they invited me to move to Tulsa. And that's the connection to Leon Russell right. and Clapton. Yeah. But it was great working with Bob. Bob was really funny though. At one point he had me and this other, I had a, um, a girl singer join me, this girl named Sean Murphy, who's really one of the best singers I've ever heard. Right. She was in Stony and Meatloaf and um, when Meatloaf and, and her were a duo. Um, and she and I, Bob would let feature us, you know, during the show. He'd like, you guys do a song. So we did this great song by uh, James Brown protege named Lynn Collins. And it's a song called Think. It's not the Aretha Franklin song, You Better Think. It's right. a, it's a th- song called think about it and it, it's very funky it sounds like james brown they used to call Lee, lynn collins the female preacher okay. and uh, anyway so sean and i would do this song and we tore it up and this one night we really tore it up and bob got so mad after we came back to the hotel hmm. he stopped hmm. us in the hallway and said you guys are fired and sean and i were like what, what? <laughs> fired? why because we yeah. did a good job but he hired us back the next day oh okay it was so funny funny anyway welcome to rock and roll yeah so um your time with Leon Russell must have been 
you know, exciting as well. You know, you're already in the business with, you know, Bob. So taking kind of like the next step. So you kind of were already experienced. And- yeah. Well, I knew I was going to work with, with Leon, like I said before, because um, I, every time he came to Detroit, I'd go right. see him, right? Um, one day I had, I had all his albums uh, on my wall in my bedroom. And my mother was, you know, came in my room one day and I was listening to him and, and looking at all the albums and just thinking about, wow, he's just so incredible. You know, part of the Wrecking Crew, responsible for so many hit records and an artist in his own right, which I loved more than anything. Um, and my mother was like, what are these albums on the wall? And I'm like, I'm going to sing with him one day, mom. Right. And she said, oh, that's sure. not funny. Yeah. So a few years later, there I was in Tulsa working with these, you know, Jamie Oldacre, drummer, Dick Sims, keyboard player, Carl Radel on bass. And uh, we had our own band and we were playing around Tulsa and Leon and a lot of other notables like the Gab Band and mm. so many other people would come and JJ Kale, they'd come and see us play. And before I knew it, Leon was coming to our gigs a lot. And then he mm. asked me out. So. Okay. He and I were actually um, dating for a while, right? Um, which to me was like, how is this happening? Am I, am I a <laughs> yeah. dream here? Right. Um, but I, I was, I was asked to be in his band, and so was the drummer Jamie Oldacre. But right around that time, we had done a gig. Uh, you know, Jamie and Dick and, and Carl and I, we we had done a gig at this popular place called um, Kane's Ballroom. And Eric Clapton had called Carl Radel, the bass player, who was a Derek mm-hmm. and the Dominoes, by the way. Yeah. And he was our mentor. He was really our, you know, our protector and mentor. Right. Um, he got a call from Eric um, and Eric said, I, w- I wanna get back out on the road. I wanna, I wanna do another album. And, and so he said to Eric, come to Tulsa and check these guys out. So he came to check us mm-hmm. out and wanted to hire us all, but I had already been asked, and Jamie had already been asked to be at Leon's band. We were about to start a tour in a few right. months. Um, so I was like, no way I'm not gonna, well, no way I'm not gonna work with Leon because I've been wanting to do this for years. And now I'm, I think I'm in love with him. Um, maybe it was just infatuation, yeah. but I don't know. I was like completely besotted. Um, so I was like, no, I'm, I, I'm not going to join Eric's band. But Jamie decided at the last minute to not tour with Leon. Okay. Went off with, with Eric, with everybody else. Right. But working with Leon was, it, well, it was literally a dream come true. It was a dream that I had. Yeah. And I made it come true. Right. Um, I was so lucky. And I was, whenever I'd see him perform, he'd always have one of the girls featured to do the feature song, right? Of the night um, for, for the girls, for the backing singers. And I was that girl. I got to do that song. He did a brilliant arrangement for me of um, oh, Unchained Melody by the Righteous Mother, okay. where it started in one key, it started in F and it modulated D. And so at the end I was singing like unimaginable stuff that was just so rewarding i mean he's such he was such a fine fine musician and performer and writer so that was just completely beyond thrilling um and rewarding mm-hmm. um yeah and then after my relationship with him ended and yeah. the tour ended um i went back to tulsa and everybody was on tour with eric 
So they called me and said, hey, come down to Jamaica. Mm. We're doing this record. And I had met Eric because when I wasn't touring with Leon, I was invited mm. to come, you know, come and see them play whenever right. they were close by, like yeah. St. Louis. I went there. Um, so they called me and said, oh, come down to Jamaica. Mm. You might, you know, you might end up singing on some songs. So I went down there and uh, I sang on about five or six songs. And Eric asked me if I wanted to be in the band. And I was like, mm. yeah. yeah. <laughs> what am I, nuts? Right. Of course I want to be in the band, be with yeah. all my friends, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that was incredible. Yeah. What did, um? well, back to Leon real quick. What did your mother say when she found out you're working with him? Well, um, my parents, I think I really surprised them. I remember when I left Detroit to go move to Tulsa. I'm like, they've invited me to move to Tulsa. I really want to do it. I got to do it, you know? Um, and uh, and my dad said to me, oh, your chances of making it are a million to one. And I, I was like, watch me. Yeah. Right? Um, so of course they were surprised. They were always very, very supportive. Right incredibly supportive and always gave me the best advice and you know when I was like lonely on the road I would call them and they'd always be there for me and and um you know looked after me and they were great they were wonderful and very proud of me that's good that's what parents should do because the kids are going to do what they want no matter what you might as well get behind them be supportive and help them out yeah, I never got like, well, I really think you should stay here and study accounting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my dad was a tool and die maker, but he was also an incredibly talented artist, illustrator. But he gave that up to to uh, earn a living, take care of the right. family. Yeah. Um, but my mom was just, she was a housewife, you know, and she'd have jobs here and there. But um, yeah, she loved, they loved music. There was always music on in the house. So. Yeah. My dad was the one who got me into singing harmonies in the first place. You know, okay. he and I would, would sing harmonies and he yeah. always encouraged me. You know, so. Right. Did he, did he enjoy the music that you performed? Mm-hmm. Did they enjoy the music that you were performing? Like, yeah, they always yeah. did. Yeah, my, my father was also a huge fan of the Beatles. Both okay. Of them right. Um, but they, were, they loved popular music. My father also loved country music he would, right. he would walk around the house singing and he played ukulele and yeah. he accompanied himself and taught me how to play and he played a little piano and taught me how to play so yeah he he really did and in fact he really um he helped me a few times he had heard some songs that i was writing when i was just starting out and and got me together mm-hmm. with some managers and found a lawyer for me and um yeah, he was always very supportive. And when I did Shakespeare's sister, uh, he really loved Hello, Turn Your okay. Radio On. Yeah. He heard that and he was like, that is a great song. The, the lyrics yeah. are so deep. Right. He was a real lyrics person, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's a fantastic song. Um, yeah, you know, let's, let's talk about them right now since you, you mentioned them. Um, okay. I was happy, you know, you guys got back together a couple of years ago and did the, the EP and the fantastic video, which you guys did. I really enjoyed that video. Um, first, the breakup, um, kind of go all over the place here. What happened there? And then how did the, like, in reunion take place? And why did it take so long? The breakup, why did it happen? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah, we'll go there first, yeah. Um, I really think it was personality differences. And, um, 
each one of, I think, Siobhan, it was Siobhan's band, you know, right. to start with. And I was just hired as a hired hand, to be quite honest, you know, to help her achieve what, you know, her kind of musical vision. And she was fantastic at that. And I learned a lot right. involved in that. Um, but when, by the, by the end of the first album, Sacred Heart, um, the record company and her management realized that I needed to be, they wanted me to be more of a 50% member, more of an equal member. Right. Um, and, and even her husband, Dave was like, you guys should be a band. You guys should be, you know, like a duo, like yeah. a band. I'm, I'm like, oh. I know Siobhan didn't really want that. And I wasn't necessarily okay. looking to do that, but that's what ended up happening. Um, the publishers and the record company and the management were like, you guys, you know, we need to make this happen. So by the time the second album happened, I was an equal member and I, we were writing, we started writing at my house, just Siobhan and I, we started writing all the songs together in my humble little house, which is literally like a few blocks from where I live right now. Right. And um, one morning, Dave and Siobhan came over. It was like on a Sunday morning, it was 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, my husband said, hey, get up, Dave and Siobhan are here. I'm like, well, what's going on? I haven't even had coffee or anything. So they came over and, um, and Dave said, they used to have these amazing parties, like where everybody who was anybody would be there from like Dr. Timothy Leary to, <laughs> right. to you know, Tom Petty. I mean, you name it, everybody would be there. And we inevitably end up singing, you know, there'd be some jamming going on. So um, Dave was like, well, you know how you always, when, when we have these parties, you end up singing these, you know, these beautiful ballads. And I've got an idea for a song for you. The album was a concept album based on this movie called Catwoman mm -hmm. of the Moon. Of okay. the, Moon. the film was made in 1952, and it was a a, a U.S. like sci-fi B movie. It was right. so cheesy, <laughs> but we loved it, and we wanted to try to, to buy the rights to okay. the film and superimpose ourselves into it. Right. Um, that didn't happen, but we still use the movie as inspiration for the album. So Dave said, you know, like I was saying, we, I have an idea for you to feature you on the album. Um, let's tailor make a song for you where the character I was, I was um, portraying that I wanted to portray in the film and that we, we each had our different characters. That I would be portraying um, is singing to an earthling who's come to the moon and they've fallen in love. And now he tells me that he has to leave. So I'm simply begging him to stay with me. Right. Dave starts playing this idea of a song. He plays the first verse and the, the little bridge bit. And all of a sudden, when it got to what would be the chorus, I just started singing, Stay with me, stay with me, that exact melody. Right. And the song was born. <laughs> he already had some more lyrics. And then he was like, well, we need to come up with the, uh, the middle eight for Siobhan. So we all know that the rest of the album, you know, was finished. We did it at George Harrison's and then Stay, right. Goodbye Crew World was the first single, but it, it didn't do perhaps as well as they wanted it to do. Um, so then the label decides it's gonna be Stay. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I was like, Siobhan and I were both like, after we wrote it and we took it to date to their house and the legendary producer, Chris Thomas was there mm. and Dave's band, the spiritual cowboys. Right. We played the cassette and they were, and Chris Thomas like stood up and he said, smash number one. And we were <laughs> like, what? Okay. Yeah. So anyway, the label loved the song. Siobhan wasn't happy. She didn't want it to be a single. Um, I was like, uh, mm. I guess it's out of my control. Um, you know, they wanted mm -hmm. to be the single. So it ended up being the single and it just, we ended up like touring all of the country. I actually, because right. Siobhan, Siobhan didn't want to do the promo. So okay. I just, I uh, went with one of the people from radio at the label and I just, um, took a guitar and just sang it on radio by myself. Yeah. And um, next thing we know, it enters the charts. I think it was at number 29. And we were doing Top of the Pops, which is like, you know, the American bandstand right. of England. Yeah. Um, and it just kept climbing up the charts. And next thing we know, it was number one for eight weeks. This world is wearing thin And you're thinking of escape Just wrap me up in chains But if you try to go all alone Don't think I'll understand Stay with me Stay
that caused tension because yeah. Siobhan made it quite clear many times that she didn't like the song and she didn't feel it represented Shakespeare's sister. Um, but it was like a runaway hit and we couldn't yeah. stop it no matter what happened. Um, and then we had, uh, and there were tensions around that. I wasn't happy about, you know, the fact that there were tensions. Right. You know, I just, I was just doing my job. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I can understand her being upset, but on the other hand, like I said, I was, I was doing my job. I was singing a song that we wrote yeah. and, and it was, right. it was a great song and I, I loved it. And so, you know, we did that and, and then they released, uh, Hello, turn your radio on. Yeah. I don't care. Then right. um, Goodbye Crew World was released again. Anyway, there were tensions between us. And unfortunately, I think, you know, we were reacting to each other, um, which was a big mistake. Mm -hmm. um, and the biggest problem was there were so many people in between us causing communication problems and barriers, right? right? that we weren't able to properly communicate. And then it just got completely out of control. And the next thing I know, um, it's announced at an awards show that I'm no longer mm. in the band. Yeah. When we were receiving the award for best album of the year, the right. album awards. And, but she was going through stuff that I didn't really know about. Um, we were supposed to do the Royal Albert Hall, um, but we came back off a tour in the States and, and it was announced that we wouldn't be doing that which was to me going to be the pinnacle of our career to play the right. Royal Albert Hall was like, I was really looking forward to that. Um, but it didn't happen. I got a call from her saying I'm having, she was having her own personal issues. And right. she was like, one day I would just like to sit down with you and, and have a cup of tea with you and be your friend. And I was like, well, I hope we can do that one day. I really, really do. Um, and I wished her well. And then the band was over. Um, and then why did it take so long? I don't honestly know, except I had friends contact me over the years and, and, and they gave me her um, email address because I heard some things that were being said and I was like, come on, let's just have it out. You know, <laughs> uh, let's just, let's talk about this. Right. Let's like, let's just sit in a room or, you know, email and have it out. And so I contacted her a few times and I was ignored. And then finally I got a response back and I said, look, you know, I just, I, I would just like to talk to you and, um, and try to, you know, come to some kind of resolution. And she was like, well, I'll be in LA soon and maybe we can just do that. That was in 2012, um, but that didn't happen for whatever reason, I guess she wasn't ready. That's right. um, what she told me later, she wasn't ready. Um, so then, you know, in 2018 is when I, I didn't know this either, oh, sorry. I didn't know this, but my husband got a call from her and they were in touch. He went to go meet with her around that time to see where she was at if there was like a possibility of to kind of feel her out to see, you know, if there was a possibility of any communication. Um, but he said, no, <laughs> like it. Um, so in 2018, because they had been in contact 
he, my husband Lance, got a, uh, a message from her manager saying, hi, I'm Siobhan's manager. And uh, I was just wondering if Marcy would be, you know, amenable to like, just to have a chat with me. Right. And so he told me that I nearly fell off my chair. I was like, wow, this is crazy. Oh, well, yeah, sure, I'll have a chat. So he called me and he said, uh, would you be, you know, Shivana just re reunited with Panorama and, and we're thinking, you know, how would you feel about at least just meeting with her? And I'm like, okay. Um, I didn't really know what to expect, you know, um, but went to this, met her at this little coffee shop in LA, like kind of nondescript place that I'd never seen or heard of before and, and walked in and, and I saw her sitting there and I was like, should I brought my boxing gloves? <laughs> <laughs> um, I just didn't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. It was all quite civil to be fair. And we, we got to air our grievances and misconceptions. Like she thought, you know, something and I was like, mm. no, no, that's not the way it was at all. And vice versa, I thought something and, you know, so we were able to clarify things. Um, and that was great to be able to do that, you know, get beyond that, to actually sit there and have a conversation um, was a major step. And then a few months later, I was going to be in England. I was going to be doing my own residency at this club and also working with Eric Clapton again at the summer, uh, Hyde Park Summer Festival. And uh, she was over there. And so we met again, we met for lunch. And, and you know, they were talking about possibly doing some touring. And, uh, and my husband, because he was involved in some of the first records. Okay. And he's got even got credit on the Hormonal Yours album. It's, he's called Casio Man. Mm -hmm. he, helped, he helped us sample some really good right. sounds for the album. Um, so he was the one who said to Siobhan and I and her manager at this lunch in London, uh, why don't you guys see if you can still write together? See what the vibe is like instead of just doing like some retro tour. Right. You know, why don't you try to, uh, you know, See, you know, see if you still got that magic. So we discovered that we both loved the desert and she had a friend who had an Airbnb out there, out in a Joshua Tree out here in California. And um, we went out there and the first song we wrote was the first single, All the Queen's Horses. All the Queen's Horses, all the Queen's Men, they couldn't put us back to Fire burning in my veins. What a desire. 
And then Siobhan was like, wow, we gotta get my friend Nick Blonet to, to produce this. And she was so persistent. <laughs> I mean, I have never seen anybody um, other than me right. you know, <laughs> wanting to get something done and actually does it, you know, setting their mind to something and just making things happen. It was just incredible to watch. All of a sudden, all this stuff started happening. And Sophie Muller, did, who did all our videos before, and was like a fourth, a third member of Shaker Sister. She, you know, came in to do the video. And um, yeah, and we even got Alan Mulder, who did the, the Hormonal Yours album, um, who was producer on it. He actually mixed the um, single with Nick. So yeah, it was, it was great. It was really great to be able to do that. And the video, you know, it's, it's fun. Um, I'm sure it kind of, you know, mended fences, so to speak. It looked like it was, th that was the goal of the video to kind of mend fences. You got to walk into the bar and, you know, yeah. bartender and coming in. So it, it definitely uh, gave a happy ending, which, which was really good there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was great. It was yeah. really fun and it had a good sense of humor and, and those drag queens knocked right. us down on the ground. <laughs> I mean, I thought I, my back was going to be broken, but right. um, yeah, that was my friend Morgan McMichael. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, but yeah, it was really cool and it was, um, it was great that we got to do that. Right. You mentioned before, like, she didn't think Stay was like the sound for Shakespeare's sister. Like, what like songs did she actually think was like the basis for the band from that album? Um, Goodbye, Cruel World. Okay. Hello. Woke up this morning and the streets were full of cars. Bright and shiny like they just arrived from Mars And as I stumbled through last night's drunken debris The paper boy screamed out the headlines in the street Another war and now the pound is looking weak And tell me, have you read about the latest freak? We're bingo numbers and our names are obsolete Why do I feel bitter when I should be feeling sweet? Is there anybody out there? Help me sing my song. La la la, life is a strange thing. Just when you think you learn how to use it, it's gone. Woke up this morning and my head was in a daze. Brave new world dawned upon the human race.
I think because it was a ballad, she right. Hmm. But hello was a ballad, so I don't know. Yeah. Just um, I don't know personal preference. Right. Yeah. So who who was Andre when the song "My Trouble with Andre"? <laughs> or the Andre, trouble with Andre? Yeah. Right. Andre was a friend of hers, some okay. guy that I had met a few times. Um. And there was some talk about him. He was afraid to come out. That's kind of what the song is about. Right. I didn't know him well. I like I said, I only met him a few times, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Do you guys have any plans to work on anything else? As far as I know, not. No. Um, she's doing her own thing. I'm doing my own okay. thing. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know. I've, I've not heard of anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So going, I guess, back uh, even before that uh, with Eric Clapton and Live Aid, I yeah. mean, that, that's like one of the biggest, you know, days of you know, music ever. I remember, you know, watching that. I saw the DVD. It was fantastic. Um, what was that experience like? And like what just getting on stage and seeing just the massive, massive oh, people there? My God, I, I just it, it's inexplicable, really. Um, we were on tour. It was the second time I was in Eric's band, by the way. Right. Um, I joined his band in 84 for a year. The first time I was in, in the 70s for like five years. Um, but yeah, my friend Sean, I, I, I invited her to, you know, be in the band with me because when the opportunity came up again for me to be in the band, I had written a song called Tangled in Love uh, with Richard Feldman. Um, and we got the song to Eric through Jamie Oldacre, the drummer. And uh, and Eric and Phil Collins, who was producing it, loved it. And they said, come down to Montserrat. We're at Air Studios and bring a friend who can sing. Mm -hmm. So anyway, to make a long story a little bit shorter, I, I, I brought my friend Sean, who's this incredible singer. And, uh, and so we were touring in the States. And we were on the West Coast. And Eric got a call to come to Philadelphia to do Live Aid. Yeah. And of course he wanted to do it. And he knew Bob Geldof and he, you know, he wanted to help out for the cause. 
So we, you know, we all jumped on a commercial flight and, and came to Philadelphia the day before. And uh, it was, you know, the, the atmosphere was electric, you know, it was just like, like pregnant with anticipation right. doing the show. And, um, and we're, we get there the next day and we're, we're backstage in this beautiful afternoon. It's in, I believe it was in June. Yeah. 85 and um it was just a gorgeous day and i see well first of all i saw chrissy hind in the elevator so i was like oh that's really cool. <laughs> she's there with ray davies and uh then i see madonna walking around with sean penn there's duran duran all these people yeah. it's just mind-blowing so here's the cool thing that happened um it was it was a revolving stage okay so as soon as one band, one band would be playing, the other band would take their places on the stage, which had a curtain drawn, right? So the band finishes and we're already in place. You know, we were instructed to get on stage, but we were waiting for a while because Phil mm -hmm. Collins had just done the show in, in London, right? Right. So we were waiting for him to mm -hmm. arrive because he wanted to jump on a Concord and yeah. then join us as well. So we're waiting and waiting for for his, his uh, for Concord to land, and then he had to take a helicopter to you know the stadium. So he finally arrives. So we can all take our places on stage. The other band finishes, and we're standing there, you know, the curtain drawn, and then the stage starts revolving around, and then we're finally you know square with with the audience, and the curtain opens, and I mean the sound of there were about one hundred and five thousand people there. The sound of the people was so overwhelming. I remember Eric was on my left and I remember looking at him and, and he looked at me and he went, whoa. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's insane. But it was so exciting. It was just an absolute thrilling um, experience. And I thought the band and Jamie and Phil just played together mm. like so well and the whole band, you know, was just incredible, mm. you know. Duck Dunn on bass and Tim Rennick mm. on guitar and Chris Staten on keyboards mm. and Sean and I and uh, man, it was just such an incredible, incredible day. And we did White Room, of course, which right. is one of my favorite, yeah. favorite Cream songs. Whenever we did that, I used to mm -hmm. love that so much. Um, back to my hippie trippy days. <laughs> but yeah, it was yeah. beyond. You know, beyond incredible, for lack of a better mm -hmm. description, it was um, a great experience. Yeah, I'll always remember it and right. treasure it. Were you able to kind of monitor what was going on in like the other locations as well, or no? Um, oh, in London, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, we we watched. We were able to watch it. I think it was mm -hmm. later though, because mm -hmm. that day, um, right. you know, we were focusing on you know getting there and doing the yeah. sound check. And they did have little TV monitors on in the other right. in the, the dressing area, so we were able to see some of what was going on yeah. there, and also in Philadelphia at the same time. Right. Yeah. 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 No, it was fantastic. I had um, Tessa Niles, who's a very great backup singer, on, and she right. was with David Bowie. And her claim to fame, unfortunately, is when they introduced the band, Bowie gave her the wrong name. So oh. I think, they called, yeah, so she wrote a great memoir. So she kind of talks about that in the book, which is really funny. I think they called Teresa or something oh like that. God. Yeah. 
But of oh. course, at that point, you know, she didn't care because she's just being introduced by David Bowie in front of 100,000 people. So it was just wow. kind of yeah, funny story. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. But uh, let's go further back a little more. Uh, an album I really liked, but unfortunately didn't do much, was your solo uh, debut album. Hmm. Under, you know, when it was just Marcy uh, Levy. Uh, and I, I really liked the album, some great songs. Why okay. do you think that it really didn't like take off? Some things take off and some, you know, some things don't. I mean, I was, I was at the time I was, let, let's just get this straight. First of all, I didn't just want to be a background singer my whole life. That's all I wanted. That, that's not all I wanted. Right. I always had visions of me being an artist in my own right. And I've always been writing. So I was doing a lot of session work in, in the, when I moved to LA in the very late seventies and I started get, getting calls to do lots of work. I mean, I worked with Aretha Franklin. I did, you know, commercials. I worked with um, George Duke, Stanley Clark, um, some really incredible R&B acts. And, uh, and then I started working with John Boylan who, who produced, um, you know, Linda Ronstadt and he did Little River Band and Quarter Flash. I'm singing on the Quarter Flash album. I'm seeing okay. on, yeah, I sang with Don Henley on some stuff. I mean, I worked with David Foster, the musician. And right. so my name had gotten around. I, I tried to do a solo album when I was first signed to Eric. Um, I got a solo record deal with RSL Records, which was Stigwood's label. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I, David Foster produced it and the label didn't like it. So that never came out. Um, so then the second attempt um, John Boylan, who was championing me and, and was a producer and um, put together the album for me and helped me get signed to Epic Records. Um, he, he produced the album with Frank Rand and, and my writing partner and partner, Richard Feldman, who I mentioned before, who wrote yeah. some Clapton songs. Right. Like Promises and Tangled in Love. And anyway, so we worked on that album and... You know, it's, it's, I don't really know how, you know, why things happen. They don't, but I was signed to the LA part of the company and we went to New York to do a, um, to do some promo and the people in New York didn't like the album. Hmm. And, and that was a big deal. Right. Because if they didn't like it, they weren't going to get behind it. And the person hmm. who signed me, like one of the big wigs, then decided to hmm. leave the company. Okay. And so I had nobody gunning for me except for John and, and this guy, Frank Rand. So, uh, and then I got an offer to actually go on tour with John Cougar, Melanie, okay. right. and open for him because they saw me and my, and my band um, mm -hmm. performing here in LA at the Roxy and they, and his drummer saw me and was like, oh, you guys, you got to come and open mm -hmm. for us. And so I really wanted to do that, but Epic Records would not give me any tour support. Mm -hmm. So um, then the whole, th I did some, I did a really, there was a great interview in People Magazine. They really, they really did a great um, interview. And I thought, wow, this is fantastic. You know, this, this could happen. Um, but then it just didn't do anything. Yeah. And then I did some work with uh, Robin Gibb of the Bee Gees, you know, and uh, we did a, something for movie Times Square. We did the end title song and then he had me do some stuff with Jimmy Ruffin. I mean, he was amazing to work with, just like a legend and an icon and right. 
guy ever. Um, I got to work with, you know, some great people. Yeah, but I don't know what happened with my album. Um, I just recently, I have the masters in my home. The guy okay. who actually engineered it, his name is Paul Grupp. And he contacted me and said, Marcy, I have those original tapes. I have the master tapes. Would you like to come and pick them up? Yeah. And I'm like, okay. So I have them in my hands, in my possession. Oh, wow. So I might release it again myself. I mean, the rights, I just have to work on getting the rights yeah. back to me, which are legally most likely um, mine. Now. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I was proud of that album, even though I felt like I was pushed to maybe do uh, something a little bit more commercial that I wanted right. to, but that's what happens. Yeah. You know? Producers hear a certain thing and they know right. when the label wants a certain thing. So you just never know what's going to fly. What's yeah. Gonna, just do your best. Exactly. Right. What I've always, you know, try to do. Is yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it sounds like very early eighties, but it's still good, yeah. you know? And, and it was. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I don't have to ask you about <laughs> uh, two songs in particular, uh, both from movies and one from one, probably one of the worst movies ever. Oh. And, you know, but the song is great from Mac and me. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And uh, Short Circuit, which is a little better. So we'll start with Mac and me and you, uh, what you were doing. Do you, do you ever see the movie? Yeah. Yeah, okay. But yeah. the song's good. The song's good. The song's good, yeah. Yeah.
you know, that's what I was doing back then. I was doing a lot of session work. Right. So stuff was coming along and I was getting calls from all these major producers and artists um, along the way. And, and that's what I did. And that's what I was known for. I, I thought, I thought we did a good job with the song. I like the song. Yeah. I mean, you know, the movie. Whatever. <laughs> it was a Hollywood, you know. Yeah. Cheesy movie. but Exactly. Yeah, people liked it, I think. I don't yeah. know. Right. Well, people like Short Circuit and the song you did yeah. with the great, you know, Max Carl in there. Which right. Call Me was, was even better. It was a better yeah. song, but yeah. 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 So when, like, you get, like, associated with a movie like that, you know, Mac and me, even though the song is good, is it kind of like, is it hard to get that stench away or it, it doesn't even affect you? Stench, that's a pretty harsh word, dude. Well, I don't you know. You know, because the movie. I, I know, mean, I know. You know. It's figurative. Yeah. Hey, I didn't really, I wasn't thinking about, thinking about it. Okay. I was just thinking about, you know, doing my job and doing, right. doing it really well. And what's next? Right. What's next? Yeah. You know, what's right. next? What I'm going to do? to further pursue my dream and getting all that incredible studio experience and working with all these amazing producers on these incredible productions is, you know, what I was very diverse. And um, I, you know, I was really lucky and I got an incredible education working with David Foster, these other producers that, I mean, they worked me hard. (laughs) Right. <laughs> had to be quick yeah. and uh, have, you know, a tremendous skill set. So um, I just enjoyed it. I just enjoyed mm-hmm. singing. And I didn't really, it wasn't really an afterthought for me, like, oh, God, I, I got to move myself away from this. But who knows? Maybe the industry thought that. I don't know. Right. And maybe it's hard, you know, it's hard to second guess it, but. People are judgmental and they have their opinions about things. And if somebody does that, then maybe that's all they can do. Or we shouldn't take them seriously doing something else. But for me, I, I just got into music because I loved it. Right. And, and I just wanted to pursue it with all my heart and soul. And to be doing the stuff that I was doing, I was really proud of it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, there are a ton of great songs from bad movies, so there's nothing wrong with that, you know. No. So yeah. yeah. So was there anything you learned? Because Jewel, your first album after Shakespeare's Sister, also a fantastic album. Was there anything you learned uh, from making that album that you took from making, you know, Marcella like a decade earlier? Oh yeah. Well, what I learned from working with with Siobhan and working with Shakespeare's mm-hmm. Sister, and I remember telling her this right at the end of of our last tour saying, you know, I thank you for showing me what it means to be an artist. Cause I really, really learned about that. Right. And, and I knew that I was gonna be doing a solo album next because Siobhan had expressed a desire to be with mm-hmm. her family and take a break mm-hmm. um, after, you know, touring for From Early Yours and all the success and the hard work we did on that. Um, so having that in mind while I was on tour, I, was, I started to write for my Jewel album. Um, and I did all my little demos at home. And yeah, I feel like it really helped to me to develop as an artist and find out 
you know, who I was and what I wanted to do. And I'm, I'm really, really proud of that album. And also the following album that I did, Feelers, is yeah. I think my favorite solo album that I've done. Um, it's, it, it's undeniable. It still holds up today. But there are some songs on the Jewel album that I'm especially proud of, like I Believe. Right. I, I, I enjoy that song, and I'm really, really proud of it. Not everybody has a right to be living their lives. Oh, but we're a long, long way, a long way from paradise. If there is freedom, tell me why. 
I'm, and I'm so glad you mentioned Feeler because I think that's my favorite. Besides that, I'm the vehicle. I think Feeler is, mm. you know, my favorite. I Hate You Now, I think it's my favorite song on that album. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that song started out as like, uh, I was singing the whole thing. And, right. and we were like, after we recorded it with Mark Saunders, he, he and I worked together on that. He, he produced it and did a great job. Um, after I sang it all, because that's how my demo was, I just sang the whole thing. He was like, you're like, oh, it just sounds so boring. So I want to make it more interesting. And that's what you do. You kind of, you kind of mess with things till you get them, you know, you mess with the sound design, you mess with the, you know, the, the delivery, you mess with the structure just to make it sound a little bit more interesting. And, uh, and so, yeah, it turned out to be kind of like a, a crazy kind of psychopathic yeah. rap at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of veered off into this right. bad vocal. But yeah, that was really fun. Jewel, the duet with um, Elton John, you know, like a real thing, maybe like, you know, a great, great cover song of the oh, Marvin Gaye song. Um, I yeah. imagine your past must have crossed with Elton working with Elton John, I, I'm sorry, with uh, Eric Clapton 
That's over the right. years, right? Yes, it did. When the first time I was in Eric's band, um, we all we were in England and we all were invited over to Elton's party. So there was like a a, a record, like an album cover, like full of coke, um, that we were sitting around one night. I remember right. that really well. Um, <laughs> Then to work with Elton again, to actually work with Elton, because I didn't right. work with him, we just partied with him. Yeah. But um, this time, you know, when we were working on my Jewel album and Chris Thomas, who, who produced, you know, so many great albums, you know, including Elton and, you know, Pulp and um, yeah. In Excess and, right. and Pretenders and he was producing my Jewel album. So he got a call from Elton saying, hey, Chris, can you, come and produce mm -hmm. my duets for one album. And he said, well, no, I can't because I'm producing Marcella Detroit's album. And, and uh, Elton said, oh, well, I'd love to do a song with her. Pick a song, tell her to pick a song and, and, uh, and I'll come and do it. And I'm like, yeah. so then Chris told me, and I was like, yeah. wow, how exciting is this? So initially I chose mm. the Border song because I okay. love that Elton song so right. much. I really, especially loved Aretha Franklin's version and yeah. I wanted to do it like that, but he said, no, he didn't want to do it. Okay. So then I came up with, well, you know, Detroit, you know, come up with a, a Motown song. So, so I chose that yeah. and he loved the idea. And so we did, we, uh, we kind of used the vibe of sexual healing for the, for the backing track and, and um, recorded everything. And then he came in and sang it with me.
all, it was supposed to only be on his album. It wasn't even going to be on my album. Right. Right. Um, and I was flattered that it was going to be on his album. But then the label were like, oh, we should have it on your album too. It'd be great. Mm-hmm. And it, it could be a single. So I was like, okay, fantastic. <laughs> so Elton and I did, uh, we did a great video for it. And we also did Top of the Pops. Okay. And we flew to, New- to uh, France. We flew to Paris and we were supposed to do a show there to promote it. But the show got stopped by this group called Act Up who were protesting oh. against the, the whole night. Anyway, oh. Elton was so generous and, and wonderful to work with. That's great. Yeah, and his, that album's fantastic. You know, this, you know, Duet's album is really good. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, did you enjoy making videos? Because you've had some really interesting ones. You know, you, the last one you had, I saw was the Alien to Me video that you have on your, on your website. Yes. I love making videos, yeah. although I I get kind of tired because I, I think I expend too much energy initially, you know, like the excitement and then, right. but, but then you have to keep shooting for hours. Yeah. Some of the Shakespeare sister videos we did, you we would start at like seven in the morning and finish at three mm-hmm. o'clock the next morning. Wow. I mean, making videos is exhausting. People yeah. don't realize Alien to me was not so hard because it was done in our own little living room studio my husband pushed all the furniture aside and created a green (laughs) screen and we just did it ourselves and you know had could put any kind of backdrop we wanted to and we're in control of the time and and everything like that now that one was really fun yeah um yeah i do enjoy i i enjoy creating something to inspire you know to, to provoke thought you know, to give you, okay, well, here's, here's a version that will maybe get you thinking or maybe get you from not thinking what the song is about, right. take you on a different journey. But um, yeah, I love it. It's a great, it's a great form of expression as well. Yeah. You remember where you were the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I remember when I, where I was when I heard one of the first songs I ever sang on, which was the Bob Seger album, okay. back in 72. Um, I sang on a song called Rosalie, and my vocal is very distinctive in that song. Wow. So um, I was in Detroit, and I was, I was listening to the radio, you know, with my family, and I was like, oh my God, there it is. <laughs> Rosalie, and it was yeah. a pretty big hit for him around that area and around that time. Yeah, so that was one of the first ones yeah. I ever heard. Is there any, like, you hear one of your songs, whether you, you know, you're singing back, background or Shakespeare's sister or one of your solo songs or even one songs you wrote that you take great satisfaction when you hear that on the radio more than any other one? Oh, that's a good question. I'm really proud of Stay. Um, you know, I recorded, we did the demo at my studio, like I said, just down the street, and right. I recorded everything on my, my home studio on a Fostex 8-track um, and on the keyboard that I still have to this day in my studio. Um, it's it's really outdated, but I mm-hmm. love it because I'm used to the, the action of it. It's, right. uh, 
yeah, it's a Yamaha DX7 and people probably laugh. Oh my God, that's so cool. <laughs> yes, it is. Right. Um, but yeah, I recorded the my lead vocal and all our vocals, um, Siobhan and my background vocals at, in my studio. And, and Chris liked it so much. And even the, the keyboard part, he liked it so much that when it came time to produce that record and that single, he was asked to come in and, and help since he loved it so much. Um, he was like, I want your original vocal and I want your background vocals. I'm like, okay. In those days, you couldn't mm -hmm. send stuff over the internet. You had right. to like, you had to like pack it up, yeah. you know, protect it, put it, you know, put it in FedEx and FedEx it overnight or whatever, two or three days later. So we sent it over. And the funny thing about it was back then, we, we did not have, we didn't have, there's this thing called MIDI, which kind of connects everything up, all the instruments and everything, keeping it in time and everything. But we really did not have that back then quite as precise as we do now. Now it's like yeah. a piece of cake. Right. Back then we didn't have it. So you can hear, he, he had to fly my vocal into the track that we recreated at George Harrison's studio. We recreated the whole song. We still had my, my keyboard part but Steve Ferrara who who was working on the song with us and this guy Ian Maidman um the bass bass player um they helped create the track and you know it sounded amazing what they did with it, it was really really brought it to life you know how the drums came in because our demo didn't really have that it had very light drums and it was all like synthesized it didn't sound anywhere near like it sounded on the record um, so they had to fly our vocals in and Siobhan's vocals as well. Um, so you could hear if you listen by the end of the record, my voice, my vocal is drifting off, is drifting out of time, especially like some of the, the high riffs that mm -hmm. I'm doing, <laughs> except for the really high one that introduces the last chorus. That, that one I did at, um, at Dave's studio in Encino in, in LA. But yeah, I'm very proud of that. Just to know that we recorded that little demo mm -hmm. at my house. I did that. I am so proud of that. So yeah, every time I hear that mm -hmm. I get a kick about, uh, you know, kick out of it and I remember it so, you know, so distinctly. I remember mm -hmm. doing the vocals and I remember, you know, what fun it was to create the song and play it for everybody and people loving it. And, yeah, so I love that. And I also love hearing, um, I believe, I'm really proud of that. I wrote that on my own and it was something that I really wanted to say at the time. So I'm really proud of that one too. No, that's, I love that song. It's, it's so powerful and your vocals are unbelievable in both songs, but especially in I Believe, which is, you knock it out of the park. Thank you. Yeah, but Marcy, I really appreciate your time today. This was fantastic. Um, where can people find you? on Twitter or social media, wherever. I am ubiquitous. <laughs> I am on Instagram at Marcella Detroit Official. I'm on Facebook um, at Marcella Detroit Official. Um, I am also on Facebook at M Detroit, but that, that is my personal page. That's already like, I can't get any more friends. So I'd rather have them follow me at, uh, you know, Marcella Detroit Official. 
you know, on Facebook. Um, I'm on TikTok, Marcella Detroit. Um, what am I missing? I think that's about it, really. I can't keep up with it all. Right, yeah. No more MySpace, right? You're done with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, thank you so much. I really oh, appreciate also, it. Also, yeah. also, they can also find me, uh, I should mention this, um, um, I'm on Spotify. Okay. Marcella Detroit. I'm also, I also have my website, which features my music, my new music and old music. I have like 180 songs up there. If you just want to have, you know, some music playing in the background while you're, while you're doing, you know, whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can listen to a whole catalog of, of my songs at MarcellaDetroit.rocks, R-O-C-K-S. And there's also MarcellaDetroit.com, which is more of a kind of gives you my, my biography, you know, tells more about what I've done. It gets into all that, you know, people I've worked with and blah, 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 blah. But the dot rocks is the one that has new and old music on it. Right. And that's the one where all the proceeds of downloads go to the Ukraine, right? Yeah, for, um, for, for one of the songs. And a special thanks to Marcy for joining me today and past guest Elizabeth Westwood for hooking me up with Marcy. I know I mentioned Lay Down Sally in the open when you even talk about this song. Fascinating song, but Marcy's had a great career and there's so much to talk about as well. She gave you all her socials at the end of the interview, but if you have a guest suggestion, you can hit me up on Twitter at the first all one nine or like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Shows on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, basically wherever you can find a podcast. A new episode comes out every week. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you then.